Now hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel according to Matthew in chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Uh, let us hear in reverence and in faith. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with the interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Certainly the overwhelming concept that comes out of the last sermon of our Lord is that of alertness. If you look at the 13th verse of the 25th chapter, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Kind of begs a question though, does it not? What does it really mean to be alert? We know biologically we cannot remain awake perpetually. Therefore, it must have a spiritual application. Alertness perhaps to danger. Alertness perhaps to neglect. Well, I really think our parable this morning uh, is most definitive certainly not passively waiting around for Jesus to show up. Our alertness really is engaged by this parable this morning. It becomes all the clearer, becomes perhaps uh, 
focused for us of what it means to be alert. In that sense, alertness means faithful service, serving faithfully. Reverse that out, of course. If you're not alert, you're in terrible trouble. If you're not faithfully serving the Lord, you're not alert, and therefore, you're in a bad way. Well, faithful service is anticipated in light of the long delay involved in the second coming. Working backwards, the five bridesmaids prepared for the long delay by having additional oil. As you know, the ten bridesmaids took uh, lights, uh, but five of them were wise. They had additional flasks, additional supplies, continually preparing for the long delay. Uh, the servant who was found to be doing well is praised. If you look at Matthew 24, the 46th verse, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Doing. Continually doing. Doing the work of serving the Lord. It's an economic concept. A master and a steward of the house. Is continually doing for the glory of the master of the house. Perhaps another way to look at the, uh, uh, the fact that faithful service to the Lord is anticipated in our text is to trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. From biblical theology, we have the initial commission given to Adam. God blessed Adam and Eve, and what follows? Well, just uh, take your ease in the garden. Do whatever you want to do. No. Just be fruitful and multiply. It's the first great commission. He blesses Adam and Eve, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Adam was a priest, the first priest. And the garden was a prototypical temple and he was therefore to be fruitful and multiply for the glory of God and to advance the boundaries of the Garden of Eden. Anticipating for us in the first chapter of the Bible that faithful service is anticipated in the commission given to Adam and Eve. You and I therefore are called to be fruitful to multiply to extend the boundaries, the spiritual boundaries of the kingdom of God, faithful witness. Adam, of course, as you know, failed and was driven out of the temple. The nation was called to priestly service, Exodus 19.6. They were to be a kingdom of priests. That was their great commission. I mean, God just didn't redeem them out of Egypt to uh, just kind of go your own way, a trip trip through the wilderness and uh, find your way across the Jordan into the land of milk and honey and just do whatever you want to do. Your heart's desire. No, they are called and commissioned and Exodus 19.6 is that commission. They were to be a kingdom of priests. 
As you know, they failed and were judged in the Babylonian captivity. Probationary period, and Jesus comes. They're to follow him. They don't. They reject him. They're judged again, I think, finally. Great deal of controversy over that in the life of the church, but nevertheless, they failed. In properly understanding who Jesus was, the great priest who came to make us priests. Revelation chapter 1, Exodus 19.6 is given to the church, be a kingdom of priests. So that all of this anticipates the right and the wrong way to wait for the coming of the Lord. Priests serve faithfully in expanding the spiritual temple to which they are members. There's an illustration of this uh, in the life of the church, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, while Adam failed and the nation of Israel failed, the apostolic company succeeds because of Christ, of course. Uh, Colossians chapter uh, 1 and uh, verse uh, 6 is an allusion to Genesis 1, 28. Which has come to you, namely the gospel, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Language that's an allusion to the Greek text of Genesis 1, 28. What's significant about that? The apostles faithfully served and carried out the Great Commission as priests of God. And they were multiplying and increasing. And the church follows along, verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The church begins to fulfill the great commission given to Adam, Genesis 1.28. So that we're not left here to wander self-directed, to self-define our priestly service. We are commissioned to bear fruit for the glory of God. That uh, anticipates uh, what it means to be alert, to wait for the coming of the Lord in a faithful manner. Uh, if you will, uh, having been saved by the grace of God, we continue to serve. We're, we're a serving people. that some priests and servants are praised and the works of others rejected aids us in understanding what faithful service is. The five bridesmaids who were excluded from the great feast from eternity. Faithful service, of course, uh, is anticipated in the delay between the advents but faithful service is also a divine expectation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. It's what I mean by the divine expectation. Matthew's going to define that for us. 23rd verse of the 18th chapter. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
God goes away in Jesus. He's going to come back. He wants to know what's happened with the great blessings that he's given us, the gifts that he's bestowed upon us. Anticipation, faithful service. Uh, a text that uh, we read some time back, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's really what's happening here in the parable, is it not? Stand before God and give an account. Like the servants who have been given talents are called to give an account. It's a, it's a chilling thought, is it not? But it's clear from this parable. The word talent uh, is uh, a monetary term of a great value. Uh, it's also interesting that the English term speaks to a broader field of meaning. God gives us talents. I don't know what they are in your life. Struggle enough what they are in my own life, but maybe you have a talent for music, for song, for uh, intercessory prayer talent for whatever uh, service in life of the church, whether it be meeting janitorial needs or whatever the case might be, God gives us talents. And the point of the text, I think, of the parable of the talents is however God has gifted you, use it and prove it for His service. In this case, in Matthew chapter 25, uh, the amount of the talents differs, most instructive. Because God gives us all differently, does he not? It's one of the things that should correct us from pride and envy. You know, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church that was really struggling over the improper use of gifts. What do you have that you didn't receive it from him? So, I mean, how can you go about misusing it if he gave it to you? as if you have it by your own innate ability. It's not innate, it's a given by the grace of God. It's the world that believes it's innate. We believe it's a gift of the grace of God. And it's different for all of us. And therefore, we don't focus on the difference, we focus upon the giver. And that is sufficient for each of us. Because it checks us from pride. And abuse. God is sovereign. The fact that He is the giver should be enough. In the case of the parable of talents, it's given to each according to their abilities. Now, we are different. God makes us so. Perhaps we should underscore this by reading the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12, third verse. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think uh, so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God gifts us differently. Verse 6, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. The point of the text is exercise them according to the different abilities. It's the reality of the accountability. 
of the master who goes on a long trip and then returns. The fact that first he gives to us gifts of grace. It's a beautiful illustration of this uh, life of the Apostle Paul, Apollos, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because, Apollo, because Paul and Apollos were different. They had different duties in the life of the church. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 66 through 9 is something of an expression of the different uses of uh, gifts. And so reading in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered. Is one better than the other? Of course not. Just simply exercising the peculiarity uh, uh, of, of the nature of God's gifts. Peculiar to each of them. Different. But they were laboring in God's field. And notice what the text says. But God was causing the growth. It's a reminder that Paul didn't cause growth. Neither did Apollos. That's God's business. And we sometimes think the charter of the preacher is to uh, establish goals like 50 baptisms a year. 23 and a half conversions make it so, Pastor. I mean, if that's my job description, I guess I better figure out how to do that. Uh, and that's what we do in the human field, and that in and of itself can be very dangerous in the life of the church. God causes growth. We're to exercise the gifts that he's given to us, faithfully serve. You know the text from Acts chapter 2. The Lord was adding to the church daily. I'm sorry, that's not my job description to add to the church. Only God can do it. But we're to faithfully serve according to the gifts he has given to us. Whether we have five talents or two, we know that he's given to us talents, exercise them. In this case, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. But they are one. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters, verse 7, is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. They were uh, being fruitful and multiplying the boundaries of the kingdom of God. That's what Paul was about. That's what we're to be about. Great commission. That we labor in the divine expectation, but the outcome is his. Uh, with a plan in water. However that breaks out for you. Talents he's given you. In this case, the first two servants traded and gained more. Uh, the word in the Greek text is literally uh, the verb to work. They worked more. And in one case, five worked for five more. In the other case, two became two more. The description of our service to advance uh, the divine gifts as the divine expectation 
The master leaves, but he comes back after a long period of time and seeks an accounting. The last servant digs a hole. He's fearful. He is risk-averse. That catches us all, doesn't it? I don't share the gospel. I might lose my friends at school. Why, I'm not going to add my opinion in biology class about divine creation. Everybody will laugh at me. I mean, I understand things break out differently for you, but be very careful about being risk-averse. Because that's what this servant is doing. Digs a hole. He doesn't want to lose a thing. And he knows he could put that one out there to work and might lose it all. I get these calls all the time at work. Someone is persecuting me at work because I get these calls. Uh, Mr. Barasox, are you still uh, investing in oil properties? No, I never have. Oh, well, I thought you wanted to invest some more. Man, if if it's such a great way to make money, why are you calling me? Why don't you just do it? Uh, Mr. Barasox, someone told me you were uh, buying gold and silver and uh, now's the time. Who told you that? Just leave me alone. But they call perpetually. Part of it is a little bit risk-averse, but not in terms of spiritual things. Be very careful about digging a hole. He doesn't want to lose anything, and so in the process, he gains nothing. The Master seeks an accounting. There's something of this in the theology of the Sermon on the Mount that is a picture of you and me. You and I are a candelabra in the temple, We're to be light bearers. So we read in Matthew chapter 5 in the 15th verse. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. You're an image bearer of the glory of God. You're to bear light for the glory of God. You don't walk around with a bucket on your head, obviously speaking metaphorically. Because you've been so identified as a light bearer, an image bearer of the glory of God. Well, the Lord comes to settle accounts. He has the expectation of gain. The first two are praised. The last one is cast out to outer darkness. 25-29 But to everyone who has, shall more be given. He shall have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. Simply reminding you that there's an anticipation of faithfully serving from the biblical theology of the studies of the great commissions. Also a divine expectation. The master leads for a long time. He has given us gifts, talents. Some five, some two, some one, maybe some Guys like me, just a half. That's all I can handle. Comes back. Expectation of gain for His glory and for His kingdom. So how do we define all that? Well, faithful service is the right use of means and secures the right outcome. Return back to the parable. The text is clear that we're to be faithful. 
That's a very important key, to be faithful. Faithfully serving is something of the clarity of what it means to remain alert for the coming of the Lord. If you look at chapter 25, verse 21, a man is given five. And uh, he gets five more. And so the master says to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things and to the joy of your master. But look now at verse 23. It's very interesting. Is that while they're given different amounts, they are praised in the same manner. Exactly the same. You and I would take the guy who made five and promote him to senior vice president. The guy that just made two, well, we'll you know, next year kind of get it together a little better. We'll, 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 we'll consider you to be uh, uh, maybe junior senior vice president. Notice the language. Verse 23. I said to him, well done. Good and faithful slave, you are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Uh, I love, I love the accolade, faithful in a few things. Not so sure we don't really need to correct ourselves. I think we have to be faithful over the grand gamut of our lives in every detail and every finality. Watch over the few things. By the way, don't despise. I love the prophet. Don't despise little things. People drive by and count the cars in Grace Bible Church and hurry away saying, well, God can't be there. I mean, if God was there, there'd be a hundred cars sprinkled with Mercedes and a few Bentleys. And that's, 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 that's dangerous talk since God causes the growth. But that has swept, of course, into the church in a terrible way. The accolade is good and faithful for both of them. We promote the one, but God promotes both. What a great reminder. Well, I, I teach the scriptures. Maybe someone else sings. Is one better than the other? Absolutely not. God promotes both. Good and faithful servant. Just use what you have, and the accolade will be the same. Faithfully serving the Lord with the same accolade, same outcome. That's encouraging, is it not? It's the age-old question of Martin Luther, have I done enough? Have you done enough? Just faithfully serve, and God will call you into the joy of His eternal kingdom whether five or two, both receive the same reward. The master says, you were faithful. Says to that to the both of them. It's continuous action in past time. Not fits and starts or starting, but not finishing. They were faithful. And, and the past really needs to be definitive of the future for each of us. We don't reach a point in our lives where we say, well, I've done my, done my due for Grace Bible Church. I leave it to the others. Continue to faithfully serve in season and out of season, regardless of the circumstance. Again, both 
achieve different results, but they receive the same response. You are faithful in a few things. Come, receive the joy of your master. So reminder, is it not? That God is not after quantity, but quality. Use your gifts properly in his service. Leave the results to him. I mean, I can grow the church. Redefine the gospel. Make it easy. Make it simple. The problem with that is, is that Matthew doesn't make it easy and simple. Illustration of this is the workman of 1 Corinthians 3. See, exercise of gifts, but one ends up in a bad way. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. The right use of means engages faithfully serving the Lord. Properly building upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. It's going to be a testing of the works. One will remain, one is consumed and burned up. Two different workers. One man builds with gold, silver, and precious stones. What does that mean? Well, those are the raw materials for the building of the temple in the Old Testament. The proper materials that God gives. Wood, hay, and stubble. What is that? That's just ordinary means, ordinary raw materials of an ordinary house. God is not building an ordinary house. He's building the end-time temple for His glory. If you begin to use ordinary means in the extraordinary institution of the end-time temple of God, your work is going to suffer loss and the day will reveal it. Construction materials, therefore, are decisively important. The quality of the materials is what is the essential. You use what God tells you to use and not what your imagination wants to use to advance the numbers of the church. By the way, the latter, I trust, I've already set in the proper context. God causes the growth. The Lord adds to the church. There are going to be times in the life of the Christian church in which the harvest will be minimal. That's God's business. Let's just properly use the means that He has given to us to advance if he causes revival, let it be so. If he doesn't, let it be so. That's God's business. I can't go out on the sign at Grace Bible Church and put revival the week of, because only God causes revival. It's presumptuous to me that I can 
intensify the outworking of uh, the grace of God. I'm just simply to faithfully do what God has given to me to do in the right use of means. Very interesting that the outcome of the work of one will remain and the other is destroyed. The point is that the means that one uses to grow the church are absolutely critical. They must be divine and not worldly. If you begin to use worldly means to grow the church, then the outcome of your work is going to be destroyed, consumed by fire that will test the quality of each man's work at the end of the age. Again, the stress is quality and not quantity. What do we do in the American church? We chase numbers. Just simply the way we do it. Meaning that we see the church like a businessman would see his business. I want a 5% increase in sales. I want a 5% increase in the number of baptisms. We've become to think like the world, have we not? Now, I hope there's a 5% increase in baptism, but the problem is I can't make that happen. Only God can. That's a miraculous work. I can preach it. I can teach it. I can show the necessity of it. I can press upon it. I can remind. I can admonish. Make it happen. If I make it happen, it's a work of, work of Phil Bauer's socks then the work is going to be destroyed when God comes to test the fire of each man's work. Pragmatism has crept into the church. You want outcomes? You want to count the number of decision cards? Just simply lower the bar. (laughs) Make the bar so low that even the world can become a Christian. Pragmatism sweeping into the American church. Quantity has just simply become a part of our culture. There's an old saying, what you grow them with is what you grow them to. If you save your children with basketball courts, maybe you've made better basketball players. I leave it to others to imagine whether you've made disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the issue. And yet I'm fully aware of the fact that youth culture has swept into the American church. Because people know you got the kids, you own the parents. So how do you keep kids? Well, I don't know. With music that attracts kids? You can fill in the blanks. Whatever you win them with is what you're going to win them to. You win them with kid music. You may not have won them for discipleship to the great king who will one day come back and say, tell me what you did with what I gifted you. And what means did you use to grow my temple? If you use the world, that's what you're going to get, regardless of the name on the building. By the way, it's very instructive. What do you think the wood, hay, and stubble represent? We know the man ultimately is a Christian because he's saved, even though fire destroys his work. It can only mean one thing. The results of his ministry are going to be destroyed. Let me be more poignant. The numbers he's created will be consumed by the fire. 
That's why you come into the church and God gives you the right use of means. There is something about fear and trembling to use them properly. Lest you add to the church as over against God adding to the church in things that only He can do. I mean, if at some point you want baptism, let me just fill a bucket of water and I'll spray it on everybody. Had a 400% increase in baptisms in Grace Bible Church. Thanks be to God. God's work or my work? And again, it's, uh, I don't mean to cast aspersion on other churches simply struggling with what God has given to me to do in fear and trembling because the day He will require it of each of us in the manner that He has gifted us. The wrong use of means will produce results that will be destroyed. I used to struggle in a church I used to attend. There were 45 minutes of announcements and music, 10 minutes of biblical teaching. Again, God doesn't give me a watch, but you begin to wonder, do you not? And of course, if you want to grow the church, then shallow teaching will work every time. Diluting the gospel will work every time. Make it so easy that men can save themselves. And then tell them they're forever secure. Have to worry about anything. God will never seek accounting from you. But the text tells us otherwise, does it not? Shallow teachings means shallow people. And I'm not so sure the Gospel of Matthew has as an abiding theme of shallow people. Come back to those who have used the means properly given to them, the five and the two. Even though the outcome is different, both are praised and both are called into the joy of their master. Gives me a little bit of hope. I don't produce the results, say, of Billy Graham, but now I know I don't have to. I just have to faithfully use the means that he has given to me and prove upon them by his divine sovereign providence and ask him to bless the work for his glory. The quantity is different, but the reward is the same. I suspect some of you got a little anxious when, when I read those accounts of the Lord testing your works by fire, and uh, maybe if you're a risk-averse over everything, really troubled, did your anxiety level increase a bit? But again, uh, the quality of our service is the key, not the quantity. Faithfully serving. Uh, My work may be teaching. Yours may be music or preparing of meals. I just don't know how God has gifted you. But however He has, and I know that He has, I know for certain that He has gifted you. He's given you talents. Use it for His glory. Don't put a bucket on your head. Faithfully serving Him and leaving the outcome. Let's just say at Grace Bible Church we don't pray for revival, but we know that the Spirit, like the wind, He moves and works as He wills to work. But let's pray for that to happen, that there might be an 
intensification, increase in spirituality, increase in growing in the faith, increase in numbers, but again, God adds to the church. Just use, use the talents that He's given to each of us properly. My work is different than yours. But isn't it terribly exciting that the reward is the same? Enter, you with five, you with two, you with half, into the joy of your Master. That's exciting stuff and the grace of God. Makes us different. Gives us all the same reward. Different service done properly has the same reward. Serving faithfully. Same reward as John Calvin, Augustine, the Apostle Paul. Something of this reward in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Uh, there's a call uh, to remember who we are, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eagerly waiting. Alertness, preparedness, faithfully serving. What's the reward? Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power which He has even to subject all things to Himself. A glorified body for those who are eagerly waiting. That's the reward of the saints. It's one of the motivations to faithfully serve. God will change us. Every aspect about us, He will change. He will make us radically different from anything that we could ever imagine in absolute glory. It's a prize worth faithfully serving for, is it not? So faithful service is anticipated, it's expected, it's engages the right use of means and embraces that we're all different so we don't envy someone else and we don't boast on someone else. Well, uh, Janie over there is so much better than you, brother. <sighs> we faithfully encourage people in their differences for the glory of God. Faithful service is linked to God as Creator. It's really the grace of God now uh, because He creates us. Well, my, I may, if I can play upon your imagination just momentarily, I might say I'm the best singer at Grace Bible Church. Of course, you instinctively know that that is an untruth. But even if I was, it's the product of what? My innate ability or God as creator? Well, the latter. That's why we're Christians. God makes us new. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He hath long before ordained that we should walk in them. He's already ordained them as we walk faithfully. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. How is that so? Because God creates us. You have a talent, do you not? How did you get it? God gave it to you in the new creation. It's the theology, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things is new. The old things is bad theology. The improper use of means, being pragmatic, bringing the world's way of thinking into the life of the church. That just because a man is a skilled banker, we don't necessarily appoint him as an elder. Because he has a skill in the world doesn't mean he has a skill in the church. God creates us with different gifts for his glory. Again, good works are part of the divine plan for ordained from the foundation of the world. Part of the creation. Last time I checked, uh, the creation didn't come into existence on his own. It comes into existence because God speaks and makes it happen. In that sense, good works that we produce for the glory of God don't cause salvation, but they're evidence of the new creation. If you want to think of the theology of the book of Ephesians, the good works are described in chapters 4 through 7. Verse, chapters 1 through 3 talk about what God has made happen by the creative power of his sovereign will. Chapters 4 to 7 the outcome, the results, and the life of the church. They validate God as our creator, that we are his sons by grace. So I know that you are different from me. You are different than your neighbor. Pay it no mind. Just labor faithfully for the glory of God. If he gives your neighbor a greater outcome, praise God. You're no different. Paul planted, Apollos watered. God caused the growth for his glory. May it be so. That's why we labor in God's spiritual field. Here two servants are productive and one is not. The former are blessed and the latter cursed. It defines proper waiting by faithfully serving. Go and do likewise. Faithfully serve. Praising God that he made you new. He made you different. And however those differences work out in his sovereign good pleasure, he will reward you the same as everyone else that faithfully serves. And may that reward become something of the heartbeat of our lives for the glory of God. Oh, to be different than the world which will perish and be burned. Go and do likewise to please God our Creator. And know that in His own time, you will receive the greatest of rewards planned for you from eternity past. Grace and duty, kissing and embracing in the majesty of God in the life of His church.